ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talks Andy. Andy Lagsdens, welcome to ATV Talk. I've been chasing you for a year, man. Thank you so much for carving out some time for us. No problem, no problem. I'm uh, pretty excited. See what uh, what good subjects we can talk about. Well, I know there's plenty. Well, yeah, because you've had a, an amazing ATV career, and now you're building some pretty cool machines, which we'll get into um, here in a few minutes. Uh, you moved from Maryland to California, and I did. I did. Well, that was about ten years ago, twelve years ago. Yeah, it was 2010. So it's about 12 years. Oh, and you're living in God, time flies. Yeah. Like the weather out here a lot better. I'm sure. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I lived in that frozen tundra of Maryland for 40 years. So, uh, I'm, I'm done with that cold. You know, I, I don't mind like going and visiting in the cold, but you know, living in is a totally different story. Living and working in, uh, you know, three months of frozen ground every year. It, it just drains the life out of me. <laughs> I, I bet. I bet. And, and when you raced back there, you did a lot of wood style racing. So it was in the mud and the, and the muck most of the time, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there was days where, um, you know, I'd, I'd get up in the morning and it was raining and I'd be loading up the, the bikes in the rain and drive to the spot where we're riding in the rain and then unload and it's raining the whole time we're riding, raining on the way home, you know, just raining all day. And we just, it was just like another day, really, like as long as it wasn't a total downpour. Um, yeah, as long as we made the preparations and had the right the right gear then uh we'd we'd ride right through right through the rainy days 
So what was it like for you in a transition from going from the tight technical woods to the openness of the West coast? Um, I mean, you know, it was like the, we would hit those speeds like desert racing speeds. We we would get close to that in some of the GNCCs that I raced. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't, I think it was just the amount of time that we, that I would spend at high speed where it was like, you know, minutes at a time, just wide open. That, that was probably what took the most, uh, getting used to It's just the amount of time where the bike is just at maximum power and RPM. And you're just, you know, I was just holding on really. <laughs> the dust like we, we get probably the closest uh gncc was at um florida track the okeechobee and ocala tracks because uh that, that was that was probably the closest thing to to west coast desert racing and we would you know we'd uh i had special motors that we'd run just for that one race you know, when we were back, when we were riding two strokes, I had a, uh, a 340cc, you know, motor for the 250R that I, I run just in that one, one race every year, just because it was so wide open. You missed the 250R days? Um, yeah, I mean, certain aspects of it for sure, you know. But uh, I, I'm all about uh, progress, you know. I, I, I guess I try not to, you know, try to go back to any certain era. I think um, I'm always trying to look forward and see what's, you know, what's going to happen in the future and what bikes we're going to be riding in the future. That's that's at least you know the last ten or fifteen years. That's what I've been concentrating on you got to do some asphalt stuff too didn't you so to prep some asphalt machines um yeah actually back to the um the 1990s like early 90s i uh i got into vintage road racing of all things and um you know i met a i met a guy that um lived in baltimore and he was he was one of the top vintage bike guys. You know, he, he didn't ride, but he he prepped the bikes and had other people ride his bikes. And he always had like the nicest stuff and the fastest bikes. So he, um, yeah, you know, I kind of got to know him, and we kind of became friends. And um, he helped me put together a bike that I raced in like a national vintage series on the East Coast. In uh oh man, it was like ninety-two, ninety-three. Wow. I did that and uh you know, it was kinda cool going to all these road race tracks on the east coast. I mean, everything from like um you know, uh Roebling Road in Georgia to uh Nelson Ledges, Ohio, Summit Point, West Virginia. Um, and then I, you know, the, the granddaddy of them all was Daytona. We, we did a, um, a vintage road race on the banking at Daytona. 
during bike week. Oh, wow. That'd be awesome. So that was, uh, yeah, that was, um, definitely one of the highlights of, of my racing, my time racing was, uh, saying that I rode at Daytona, you know, <laughs> That's pretty cool. And Daytona for the ATVs is in just a few days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it used to be that the first, the first, um, GNCC race every year was in Florida. That would like start the series and it was during bike week. But, uh, now they, you know, they, they, they've been starting it earlier in, um, South Carolina and Georgia. But, um, you know, for for years that was like the first, the first series race for the GNCCs. When you did all of your cross country racing, you also raced on a bike too, didn't you? Um, I, I did. I guess as early as um, I think like around 1990. Uh, I, I bought a, a YZ125 and started using it as like a cross trainer. And um, then I ended up, you know, racing the bikes and then I ended up racing the bikes and the quads in the same weekend, sometimes in the same day, like back to back races, you know. And uh, I, I, I did race the Blackwater on a, um, on a four wheeler and a bike in the same weekend, Blackwater 100. That's, and, uh, that was brutal, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely brutal. And I mean, it was basically a survival, survival race, you know, it was all about, um, you know, not getting into any real bad situations that you can't get out of. And preserving the equipment it was so easy to have a, a mechanical issue. I mean, I've, uh, you know, just in the black water, I've drowned out bikes and flipped three wheelers upside down into rivers and broke swing arms in half on TRX 250Rs. And, you know, there's so much stuff that can happen, you know, come across the, uh, the finish line with like three flat tires at the same time. It was, uh, it was brutal. Like, um, you know, I was in district set AMA district seven, which was like Maryland, DC and Virginia. And, uh, when I started racing three wheelers, Blackwater was one of our district points races. So, uh, we'd go there every year. Um, you know, just if you were following the district series, you had to go to Blackwater 100 and race it. And I remember going to a, um, a district meeting where, you know, all the, you know, the people that run the, um, run all the operations of the district get together once a month and, you know, hear like suggestions and complaints and that kind of thing. Just, go over the status of things with the district. And uh, one time it was a, a group of people showed up at the, the district meeting and said they, they didn't want the Blackwater 100 to be part of the series anymore. And I remember one guy that I ended up like knowing him pretty well. 
afterward, but he got up and said that Dave Coombs was trying to kill people. The way he laid out the track. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm, I'll never forget that. I always thought that was, you know, I mean, I would never say anything like that. You know, I would never admit that the course was so tough that I didn't want to go race there. You know, it's just not, that's not part of my DNA. Like <laughs> anywhere, you, you know, because I've got to know you pretty well. I think that you're game to race almost anything, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, I, I tell people, um, you know, motor and wheels and I'm all about it. I'm all about racing it. two wheels, three wheels, four wheels, pavement, dirt, mud, whatever. Let's just bring it on. If I mean, if they built a track in a field of pure uh, horse manure, and said they were going to have a race there, I'd probably sign up just to do it. Well, I didn't realize that you raced three-wheelers. Um, probably now that, that you mentioned it, I realize it. But you've raced three-wheelers. You've raced four-wheelers, two-wheelers. You've raced from the Blackwater 100 to the Baja 1000. That's a pretty amazing resume of places that you've gotten to race. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's uh, that's part of the appeal. It's just, uh, you know, I just want to race as many different types of events and uh, as many different places and experience different tracks and terrains. I mean, that, that, I guess that's what uh, I guess that's what made it so um, so much fun for me. You still race today. Um, I, I do, but just, uh, just playing around, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to win any, any races, you know, I, I'm mainly just, uh, my, my wife has been racing a dirt bike. So when she races, a lot of times I'll race with her and just kind of follow her through the, the course just to keep an eye on her and make sure nobody runs into her or anything like that, you know, just kind of be a, a blocker. <laughs> but, um, that's pretty awesome. That's about it. Yeah. And you do most of that here in Southern California? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Your shop. Yeah, um, Go ahead. The one race that we've done the last couple of years is uh, the Built Well 100. It's like a 25 mile loop in uh, Johnson Valley, like in that area where they do the uh, King of the Hammers, that same area. And it's just like a, it's not an AMA event or anything. It's just like an outlaw of, uh, run what you brung kind of race. And um, we've been doing that. We did it last year and we signed up for it this year. So that's like our, our fun race for the year with me and my wife. That's pretty awesome. It keeps you guys going and doing things together. <clears throat> I was going to say, yeah. first is your shop and you brought the name with you from uh, back East to here. Um, what kind of things do you get to work on in your shop? Um, I mean, I, I've worked on all kinds of stuff in the, over the years. I mean, um, man, pretty much everything, but here lately, um, I've kind of 
switch from doing race prep and that kind of thing to uh, prepping bikes for TV and movies, like uh, setting up stunt bikes and you know modifying bikes to make them look a certain way that the production company wants them to look for TV. How exciting is that? It's cool. And, and really it's uh it, it's a great replacement for, uh, for racing. Like, I mean, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't replace it exactly like all the aspects of it, but a lot of it is, you know, it's, um, I still get to prep the bikes and set them up for, you know, guys that are at the top of their game. You know, the, the pretty much the world's best stunt riders is a lot of the guys that I work with. So I'm setting up bikes for them and, you know, I'll set up a, you know, a spares kit and multiple bikes and we'll ship everything out to the location. And I'll go and, um, you know, help the, help the stunt guys while they're practicing for the, what they're going to need to do in the movie. And I just, you know, fix whatever breaks and help them adjust the stuff. So on the day, everything's ready to go. And, uh, and they're able to do their job. The bikes stay together and they pull off the stunts and bikes look cool. And it's, it's similar to racing, like a lot of similarities. And is it dirt bikes and road bikes? All kinds. I mean, you know, dirt bikes, Harleys, uh, ATVs, um, whatever, whatever is needed, you know, um, you know, the, the people that are doing like the creative end of it, they might not be real well-versed in how motorcycles work, but they know what they want it to look like. So it's kind of like, uh, my job to help them accomplish the look they want and still make it work for the, the stunt riders so they can do the stunts that they need to do. Is it, is it hard sometimes to achieve their goal? Uh, sometimes it's impossible. Like, the, you know, I've had companies that want like a snow machine with just one single track. They ask for like one single track on it. And it, you know, it's impossible for, for it to turn. There's no way to turn it. So, you know, a lot of times they ask for stuff that's not even like possible. And you know, I have to break the bad news to them that you know, they have to think of something else. Go to Plan B. Oh, that's that's crazy. That's got to be. Do you do some of the prep for the machines that actually film as well? Where the you know where they mount the cameras and stuff on them? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like on a big production, um, you know, like a, a feature movie if they have a bike that's one of the main character bikes, then we'll build like six or eight of them all identical. And some of them will be kept real nice for like the close up shots with the actors on them. And then other ones will be set up for whatever stunts and we'll have like, you know, big brake discs on them or, uh, you know, the suspension will be set up a certain way or, you know, and then some of them will be uh, set up just to crash. 
you know, a lot of action movies, the bikes are always crashing. So like two or three of them will just get destroyed. They'll, you know, run them, run into them with cars or uh, hook them to cables and like drag them into an intersection into oncoming traffic. And those get, they just get destroyed, throw them off of cliffs, whatever. Do you ever get any of those machines back to look at after that? Yeah, I've, um, a lot of the stuff that I've worked on, um, you know, I get, I, I get the, uh, option to, to, um, buy the bikes back when they're done with them. So I've, I've done that sometimes. And some of the bikes, um, you know, I'll just rent to them. Like I'll set up my own bikes and then rent it to the production company for the, the length of the shoot. And then they'll just come back to me afterward. Oh, so you get to work on them. <laughs> you get to prep them, do all that work and do the rental. That's, that's a good deal right there, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty lucrative. You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's really, it's pretty complicated. Like how it all works. Like it took me a few years just to really figure out how everything worked and who's in charge of what. And, you know, it's a lot, really a lot involved. And, um, you know, it takes a lot of people, a lot of people to make like a, a feature movie. It's, uh, it's, I don't think most people realize, you know, it takes hundreds of people on location at one time just to shoot like a 10 or 15 minute segment in the movie. Wow. That's crazy. I know I have no idea because yeah. never got to do anything like that or never never got to be a part of it. So you would, you would really have no idea. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't on my radar at all. Like uh, when I came out here to, um, you know, we're, I'm living in Los Angeles now, like Burbank, right North of Los Angeles. So it's kind of like the hotbed of the movie industry. And uh, I, I never, I had no idea what was involved with stunt bikes and, didn't even think of it. Yeah, you know, I came out to California just to race in Baja, pretty much, and really hadn't thought about much past that. You know? <laughs> and uh, I, I really just lucked into it. Just uh, forest dumped my way into the situation. And uh, that, dude, that's the best out. way, right? Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. We briefly texted back and forth about a project that you built and you're going to have to talk me through this because I'm not super familiar with this and I have a lot of questions um, and hopefully you'll be able to answer most of them. Electric motorcycles. What is the, the draw to them and do you think they're going to take over? Um, I mean, I, I've been, I've been keeping tabs on electric race bikes and cars since the eighties. Like, um, like, a, it was probably like 1985, 86. And, you know, I was deciding whether I wanted to keep racing three wheelers or, build an electric powered Volkswagen 
beetle and come out to the West Coast and race it in the desert. That was like, that was my mindset in the mid 80s. And uh, I just, you know, I had financial restraints, like, you know, build, building an electric car and taking it out to California and racing it was pretty, you know, take some money. So I ended up, um, you know, just racing three wheelers and four wheelers instead. But it was always, you know, I kept tabs on it and kept, uh, you know, looking for stories on electric bikes and just kind of kept, um, kept an eye on the progress to where, you know, hoping that one day it would get to the point where I could just buy a electric bike and race it. And I mean, as far as the reasoning, I, I don't know, I guess, um, I guess I always thought it was at some point that's where it was going to go. You know, I just thought that that was going to be the progression of motorcycles. Was, you know, we're going to get to the point where couldn't really get any more performance out of the internal combustion motor and going to have to look elsewhere and the technology of electrics would keep progressing you know i guess that was like you know always my thoughts on where it was going to go and why i wanted to pursue it because i thought it was going to be you know the next uh the next big thing after gas motors how schooled are you on how the electric system really works are you pretty knowledgeable about that Um, not so much. I mean, I've never, uh, I've never built a, an electric bike from components. You know, I've, I've never, uh, I've never built my own battery or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I guess, I guess, um, you know, what I've done is just buy like, uh, the current best electric bike and just modify the chassis mainly to make it higher performance. But the, uh, the motor and the battery and the controller, I pretty much leave that, the whole drivetrain, the whole powertrain stock just for re reliability. And, um, you know, I just, I guess I don't know that much about it to go modifying circuit boards in a electric motor control unit you know yeah that's where uh i draw the line i don't blame you what i'll work on i don't blame you i'd be lost i'd be going uh da, da. it's okay <laughs> we'll hand it off to somebody that knows better so when you got the platform that you that you built what was it originally uh well the, the first one i built was um a, a zero DSR, like a, a dual sport bike made uh, by zero motorcycles. They're a company in California. Um, and, you know, uh, I still wanted to race desert races on electric bike, you know, something I'd want, I'd wanted, wanted to do since the eighties. So, uh, that, that's, 
that's how I chose the bike. I, I found the, you know, researched what bike had the longest, the furthest range and, um, and just used that and made the chassis work for racing in the desert as, you know, as much as I could. And, uh, that was the first bike that was, um, it's a 2016 model zero DSR. And it's, you know, it's, um, a big two wheel bike. It's, you know, 70% on road, 30% off road, dual sport bike with a massive battery on it. The, the bike weighs about 450 pounds, mainly because wow. of the battery. And How long will it live? Uh, zero claims that you can get 200 miles out of it, like just over 200 miles. That you know, electric bike companies tend to claim some uh, you know <laughs> unrealistic range on their bikes. So, what's the real number, Andy? Um, I, I can get 100 miles out of it, riding it hard. Riding it at race speed in like a Southern California hare and hound type track, it gets about 70, 70 miles. What are the courses? What are the distance of the, of the races? What are the links generally? Um, hare and hounds, like the national hare and hounds, they, they have multiple loops. Like, uh, you know, one loop might be 40 miles. And then there might be one or two additional loops that are like 20 or 30. And, uh, you know, different classes will, you know, the, the pro riders and the experts will do all three loops. And then the, you know, B riders will do first and second loop. And then like the C riders will do one loop. So, uh, I, I entered it in a, um, Heron Hound a couple of years ago and they, you know, it's kind of a gray area with like entering a race on electric bike because nobody really knows how to sign you up. Right. Like what class, you know, I mean, what class do you put it in? So, um, you know, I, I kind of waited. I didn't want to like let anybody know that I was racing it. So I just kind of showed up with it and went to sign up and, uh, you know, there was a moment where I wasn't sure if they were even going to let me race, but um, I just signed up in this like hooligan class, which is like, uh, you know, Ducati uh, desert sleds, like the Ducati Scrambler and um, the KTM, the, their big twin um, uh, 790 okay. uh, KTMs, you know, that, that's. And there's some, some guys that run like Harley Sportsters in that hooligan class. So I signed up for that because, you know, the thing's super heavy, 450 pounds. It's got a lot of power, but the, the chassis is like the limiting factor. Uh, it's just a lot of weight and not a lot of suspension travel. So it made sense to enter it in that class. And uh, I just did one 40-mile loop. and yeah, you know, I had plenty of charge left after that and uh ended up out of the out of all the bikes that ran the single loop, forty mile loop, I 
feet like half the gas bikes. Like it was, I was right in the center of the overall finishing list, you know, like, so I, I thought that was a success, you know, just to finish and beat a bunch of gas bikes. What's the limiting factor on the suspension? Is it lack of testing or they just didn't build it for what you wanted to ride it in? Uh, the limiting factor is the rear shock travel. The way it's, the way it's set up, the shock is just really short and you just can't get the travel out of it without modifying the frame or building a swing arm. So, uh, I, you know, I didn't want to get that deep into it. So I just, uh, I had race tech built a shock for it, built a rear shock for it. I just took the bike to them. You know, we took some measurements and they built a rear shock for it and it worked pretty good. I mean, you know, for, for what it is, it was good. Uh, the, the front end, I, I just, you know, that was easier. I just put a CRF 450R front end on it, like triple clamps, fork tubes, wheel brakes, like a whole, it's a whole Honda CRF front end on it. So, so the, front the front end, end was good. Wheel. Front end worked good. It was just the rear, rear shock that was a limiting factor. That could get a little sketchy in the desert at high speed, huh? Yeah, it didn't take long for me to figure that out. Like pretty much on the start straight, uh, you know, <laughs> almost tossed oh, it. So. <laughs> yeah. Might not have been a good idea. And, uh, you know, just just picking the thing up was hard. I mean, you know, picking up a four hundred fifty pound bike on like pavement is one thing, but picking it up in the a deep sand wash. It's a totally different story. So uh, I, I went down twice on that bike, both in sand washes where, you know, the one handlebar was just augered in to the sand. And I was trying to like pick it up. It was like below horizontal, you know, and it, I, I mean, it took everything I had to, to lift that bike up in the sand wash. Well, you've, but it worked out good. Yeah, you've ridden a 450, and now you've ridden that. What's the acceleration like comparing the two? Because I mean, you've ridden a two-stroke motorcycle as well. So if you take the the straight-ahead drive, does the electric bike outdrive the four-stroke? Um. Well, you know, with with, with that zero, you know, I I turn the key on. I uh, pull my phone out. It, I like attached to the computer on the bike with my phone with Bluetooth. And it gives me a bunch of engine parameters that I can set however I want. So I can make it hard hitting power, mellow power. I can limit the, you know, uh, limit the power on it. Um, you know, put in regenerative braking, turn that on and off. If I'm, you know, going really trying to get as much range as possible, I can use regenerative braking to, you know, put a little bit of charge back in the battery when I'm off the throttle. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. You can 
you know, fine tune it just without having to really lay a wrench on it. You know, it's just uh, setting it up with an app, basically. Wow. But, uh, you know, th- that that particular bike makes like 70 horsepower. So it's pretty fast. I mean, it weighs 450 pounds, but it does make 70 horsepower. And it's it's pretty abrupt. Like, you, can, you know, you can set it up so it's pretty hard hitting. Like a lot of torque from a real low RPM. So it accelerates as good as the 450. Mm, I mean, it's it's different. It's real hard to compare the two because you don't have to shift. There's no gears on the electric bike. Right. It's just you know you just turn throttle and hold on, and there's no you know clutching it or shifting or i mean it's different it doesn't feel like it hits as hard but uh but the power is there it's just kind of deceiving like uh yeah i've been working on ktm electric bikes we've been i've been setting up those for uh for um young kids to race and we we've done like you know, shot video, like start videos with the electric bike and a comparable two-stroke 85 and, you know, kind of analyze body position and shifting and all that. And in the videos, I mean, the, the, the kids riding the two-stroke, they're all over the bike. They're, you know, shifting and body English and the front wheels coming up and all this. And, whoever's riding an electric bike, it's just, they're just in a tuck and they're just straight line. Just, you know, they're already looking at like the first turn, you know? So, I mean, it, it, it's different. It's really hard to compare the two types how, of power. How good can you get that KTM electric bike to work in the bumps compared to the, to the, to the gas motors? Um, well, you know, there, there's a weight issue. Like the, the weight is the, the big factor with those, like, the, um, you know, the KTM free ride is what I've been setting up and, uh, you know, make it so it's, it's set up for a super mini class, which is like a, a youth class for like 12 to 16 year olds. And, um, you know, it, it's in the, it's racing heads up against like a KX 100 or a CRF 150 R or a KTM 85 SX YZ 85. And it's not quite as fast in a drag race as like a, a built 85. But, um, the, the main thing is it's about 50 pounds heavier. So it's the, the weight is really, what what's keeping the keeping it back that version or that platform how long does that battery battery last um with a you know a, a really fast kid on it that you know like kids that you know qualify for mammoth and loretta's you know pretty much the fastest kids um they get about 25 minutes out of a battery charge and in a, in like a, a desert racing or motocross 
tight, you know, kind of wide open course. It's good for about 12 miles. And what are their races usually? How long do the races usually last? And, and, and do you change a battery or charge the battery? Yeah. The one, one good thing about the KTM uh, electric bike is that a battery swap takes like 45 seconds. Like it, it's, it takes less time than refilling a gas tank with like a spin-off cap. Nice. So, uh, yeah, so we've got, you know, for the races, we've got multiple batteries. We, we've done, we've gone as far as like, um, we've done an hour and 45 minute race on the, the KTM electric bike. And instead of gas, it's battery know, swap. That's doing battery swaps. Yeah. That's freaking incredible. What's the, what's the motor life like on one of those things? I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, there's only four bearings in the motor total. There's, a, you know, two bearings on either side of the, uh, the electric motor and then, uh, two bearings on the, the, um, the drive shaft on like the counter shaft, I guess you'd call it. Really? So, I mean, there's really not much to it. It's like four bearings and a couple of seals. So you've never seen them fail. There's no transmission. There's no clutch. There's no oil pump. None of that. The the water pump is like a little uh, sealed unit, 12 volt, that just runs all the time. So the water like, pump um, is it got a, it's got a cooling system then. Yeah, it's got uh, radiators. And it, um, the water pump continuously pushes coolant through a, a water jacket around the electric motor. And then, uh, you know, after it goes through one side of the motor casing, it cools the, um, motor control unit. Like the, um, like the brain, you know, the motor controller. And then it goes through the other side of the, um, the motor through a jacket and then back through the radiators. Yeah. Heat, heat is definitely an issue on electric motocross bikes. The hotter like, they get, um, the lower they get. Yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, this is all like stuff that I've, I've just been figuring out firsthand. Like it's not something you can look in a manual and they'll tell you, you know, what, what gets hot on an electric dirt bike, you know, just nothing. <laughs> so we, we just been doing a ton of testing, you know, when the bike, you know, we put temperature sensors on the coolant system and, you know, in different areas and trying to figure out where the heat is and, you know, we'll, we'll get it hot to where it like goes in a lint mode and then read the error codes off of the computer and try to isolate the problem and figure out what it's doing. And, uh, it, it's like a, it's like a, a, a heat spike. It's like a temperature spike that occurs when you get into a really high load where, where you're turning the throttle, but the wheel isn't spinning. And it's just that that's what, that's what gets electric motors hot. 
almost like as it's far slipping. as I can tell. Almost like the, if it had a clutch that it's slipping because the wheel won't turn. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. Like, uh, if, if you can envision like being in a, being in a sand wash, like crossing a sand wash in a, like a dip, like a crevasse and trying to get up that other side where you're giving a lot of throttle, but it's not spinning the wheel and it's just trying to go up it. That's, that's like what gets the electric motors the hottest. And each like a bunch of juice too at the same time, right? Yeah. And it has, you know, there's other things involved in that, like, you know, leading up to like a high load area like that, a high load situation, you know, if, um, if there's like a long, fast straightaway where it like preheats the motor and then you get into a situation where you're giving it real high load, trying to get out of a tight spot you know, that contributes to it. So it's just a whole different um, game, it's just a whole different game that we're trying to figure out. Have you seen Honda's machine? Um, I mean, I've seen pictures and videos of that Mugen bike. It's like, a, um, I mean, it looks like a a late model CRF 250 or 450R chassis, you know, twin spar aluminum chassis straight off of the dirt bike. And they put an electric motor and battery in it. But uh, I haven't seen one in person. I've just, you know, seen it in videos. Do you think the electric technology could take over Supercross? Ah, oh, man. I as, mean, it, it's possible. You as, know, a it's fan, possible. as a fan watching Supercross, would the thrill for you still be there when the machine makes no noise? I mean, it's the, the way I look at it, it's, it's just different. It's going to be, you know, there won't be that loud motor noise, but there's going to be other stuff that happens because there isn't loud motor noise. Like the, you know, the riders can hear the crowd screaming. The, uh, you know, it's, it's just different. Like the riders can like yell at one another in a tight turn. You know, I mean, there's who knows, who knows what it's going to be like. I mean, it's never really been done. You know, like maybe some little exhibition races, but nothing, you know, like when me and my wife have raced, both our electric bikes together and we can hold a conversation next to one another while we're riding. So, I mean, it's, it's just different. You know, if people that concentrate on just like the, you know, the cool sound factor, I think they're, they're missing like all the other possibilities where it might be cooler. Who knows? You know, so you actually do it. Well, MotoGP, which I know you know of MotoGP, they have an E-Series. They do. I've, I've never seen it, but I would 
you know, when you're watching on TV, it's not the same effect because they tone the noise down on TV for the naturally aspirated machines. So you don't hear yeah. the same noise. Right. So uh, on a TV, they'll deal like that. There would be no difference in watching the race with an e-bike versus um, a regular gas motor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I know uh, that that uh, new company uh, Stark Futures, or they announced they're going to have that uh, their bike. They're trying to get it homologated for uh, Supercross and AMA racing. I don't know if you've seen that bike, but I have not seen it yet. You know, the, 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 you're, you're the second person that brought it up to me that I need to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're claiming eighty horsepower out of their bike with the same weight as like a current four fifty motocross bike. Which is a pretty uh you know it's a pretty big claim. So we'll we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. And they have the weight down? Yeah, they're they're saying uh they're shooting for um, you know, a pro level rider being able to finish a 35 minute moto on one charge, but their, their bike, you know, they're, they're not claiming that you can swap the battery easily. It's not going to be a, a quick swap battery. So the bike's going to have to be charged in between motos. Wow. Mm. Well, you, you know, for the for the pro supercross stuff, they have time between the heats and the mains and everything. So, you, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know how long it takes to charge one fully, anyways. So, I mean, that yeah, the technology for the cars on the road, the longevity of distance isn't there for a long road trip. Yeah, and, and you know, um, it, it might be something where they might have to change the, some aspects of the the race format. If if you're going to go to an electric format, yeah, you know, um, I I would say if if you're going to do electric in the desert and things like that, y- you might race multiple machines because unless you have a quick change battery system, um. You know, I mean, we were, when we raced desert, which they, it's still the same deal. It's 50 miles, you know, yeah. every pit is roughly, well, not, it, it's not always that way, but most of them are within the 50 mile range. Every once in a while you do something strange and it'll be longer, but if your battery only goes, you know, 70 miles or whatever, you're going to be changing batteries at, at 50 because you schedule it at 70 and the battery runs out at 65, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, for electric bike to race in like a Baja 1000, I think that's still a ways off. I, I just, the, the technology just isn't there yet. How about the, the, like they do with the F1 cars where it's has electric assist, you know, and you have hybrid cars. My wife has one that has electric assist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no hybrid bikes that I know of. 
in yeah, existence. I, I mean, I haven't seen one. Yeah, you know, I think you get into just a, a weight issue where it just, you know, to have a, a internal combustion motor and an electric motor and a battery. Uh, I just don't think it, it would work for a bike. I think it'd just be too heavy. Well, battery technology's got to get fixed for the off-road stuff because right now we're just having a massive issue of battery failures because the construction can't handle the pounding. Really? Lithium or lead base. Hmm. And it wasn't that way in the last two years. The, the, the something's changed. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but the failure rate in the lead based batteries has went up and it has something to do with the amount of lead could be the construction as well. Um, but the lithium, I haven't found a lithium battery yet that'll live. And there's guys out there that are sponsored by lithium batteries or battery companies that will tell you that they live. Um, but in reality, most of them are swapping the battery every race. Huh. And, and what happens to the battery? It breaks the internals and then the, the battery will have a surface charge on it, but it has no, when you hit the button, there's nothing there. Hmm. You put an ohmmeter on it. It says that it's charged, but you put a load on it and it goes to zero. Gotcha. So the, so the way it's separating the cells, uh, the framework inside is, is collapsing or breaking and then the its cells shorted out so that the, the battery didn't work. Yeah. And, and one thing uh, you need to consider on, on that, I mean, you know, you're, you're talking a, a battery on a internal combustion motor bike or four wheeler. There's that whole vibration aspect of it from the gas motor that I'm sure has an effect on the battery. It's um, yeah, to a point it is. I didn't think about that. I just yeah. thought it. Yeah. That, that, there's so much out of the realm, you know, you're going to get into guys that can make the, the motors go faster too, by changing the windings, you know? Yeah. yeah and it's like, you know, the, the motors like electric bike, drive trains, they set them up. So they're reliable. Like there's room where you can, you know, maybe set it. So it'll get a little bit hotter without going into a limp mode, you know, or, um, you can make the motor put out a little bit more power, but it's, it's like, you know, you get into that point where it might fail, you know, it's like jetting, you know, try to jet as lean as possible to get the most power out of it. But then at some point you burn a hole through the top of the piston, you know? Yep. So it's the same, same kind of game. It's just a different, just different equipment, you know? When you were talking about the zero where you could plug it into your phone, did you ever run it at, at the max power setting just to see what it would do and how long the battery would live? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I run it at pretty much max, max power. And it, you know, and it, it doesn't hurt the motor at all because it's pretty safe uh, from what you've said. It's pretty reliable. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. On the, on the zero, um, you know, I, I did a, a electric track day at Laguna Seca on the, on the road race track. And uh, there were, you know, a ton of electric bikes. there, all different brands and 
stuff and and zero had you know uh, one of their one of their like you know technicians there just helping people out that had zeros and um I, I had a zero there and was doing laps on it and I gave it to him and he just, you know, plugged into his laptop into the diagnostics port and he could get into all the, you know, like the really, you know, deep parameters for setting it up, like change the, you know, like I was saying, like how hot the motor gets before it goes into a limp mode and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, it was, it was there's a lot of things you can do to get more power out of it, but you know, you can get to that point where reliability will become an issue just like on a gas bike, you know? Oh yeah. And then you'll have guys in, in the pits with their laptops, you know, changing parameters for the main events, you know, um, I, I wonder, yeah, depending on, depending on track conditions and that kind of thing, mud and water, does that affect the engine at all? I mean, is it sealed so that you're protected? Uh, the KTMs are submersible. Wow. To like three meters. Like you drive it. There, there's some videos on YouTube of guys just riding the bike into a lake where the bike is completely underwater and they'll like get it turned around and ride it back out on the, on the dry land. <laughs> it's, it's completely submersible. I mean, there's, you know, there's electrical connectors and a lot of like military spec style connectors that have like, you know, double O rings and the whole bit. Right, right. I mean, that, that stuff can fail. Like, you know, if, it, if it's an, a 10 year old bike, I wouldn't be doing that with it, you know? But uh, as they are from the factory, like when they're new, they're completely submergible. That's that's pretty awesome. So you started on three wheelers. You worked your way into four wheelers. You got into motorcycles, street and dirt. And now you're into the electric stuff. That's quite a career, Andy. Not, not many people have, uh, have, have a broad variety like that. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm, I'm impressed, brother. I am deeply impressed. And yeah. And, uh, you know, even before, before I got into three wheelers, um, I raced BMX bikes. <laughs> like when I was, you know, I think I started when I was like 12 and, uh, you know, my parents, totally didn't want me to race anything when I was 12. Like I was, you know, already doing dumb stuff and, you know, hurting myself and breaking bones and knocking teeth out and that kind of thing. So they didn't want me to race anything. So, uh, I like, um, you know, I would get like BMX magazines at the convenience store, you know, cause it was before internet and stuff like that. You couldn't just Google BMX bikes. Yeah. to like, yeah, to track everything down, you know? Yep. And, uh, so I, I, you know, was checking out bikes and BMX bikes and 
I set up my, my bike, you know, like the guys in the magazine and stuff. And then somehow I found out about a BMX race that was going on. And, uh, you know, in Maryland, like near where I lived, so I like just decided to ride my bike to the race and race it. <laughs> and it was like, you know, it was like a hour long bike ride just to get there. Cause my, you know, I couldn't tell my parents that I was going to do it. So I remember I rode my bike there and raced and, uh, ended up winning my class. And they gave me like this three foot tall trophy. Cause it was like some kind of, you know, season ending double points race, you know, and, uh, ended up winning. So I got this huge trophy and had to like ride my bicycle home with this big ass trophy. And uh, I brought it home and showed it to my parents. And after that, they were like, you know, didn't totally approve of it, but you know, what could they say? You know, <laughs> so then, uh, and, you know, from that point on, you know, my dad would like take me to the track and, and, uh, you know, he picked me up at school on Friday afternoon and we'd go like right to the track and race like a, you know, Friday night race and stuff. And that was cool. And then, uh, I was racing at this place, Howard County fairground. And, um, it was like a big fairground. They had a big BMX track. It was, you know, pretty big track. I think I was like 14. And, uh, the, the owner of the track, his kids raced dirt bikes and in like the halftime show or whatever, he had, he had them take their dirt bikes around like a little track outside of the BMX track and hit some jumps and stuff. And I saw those kids hitting jumps on their little KX 65s or whatever. I was like, Oh my God, I got to do that. So from that point on, I was like, screw this pedaling bicycle thing. I want to, I want to race dirt bikes. That's so cool. Yep. How, did you talk your dad into that or did you have to wait? Um, you know, again, they didn't want, they didn't want me to have anything to do with motorcycles. You know, it's too dangerous and all that. So I like you know, I convinced them that three wheelers were safer because they had the extra wheel. Like it was, <laughs> you know, I like convinced them it was more stable. It was like training wheels, you know, mm. and they went for it. So, I, you know, started I racing up buying it. I bought an 84 ATC 200X off the showroom floor. It was like 1200 bucks brand new from the Honda dealer and just started riding the wheels off of it. One of the best three wheelers ever made. Yeah, man. I love those bikes. 84, 85, whether 83 to 85 were the same. They were badass. Loved them. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 I raced. That was my first three wheeler race was on one of those. Yeah. Ah, that's freaking cool. Love that package. You know, my dad, my dad built motors for him and everything had a pretty good, had a pretty good package, you know, and it, it just yeah. never, I've never got to, to go back and build one again. You know what it's like being in the industry. You never build something for yourself. It's always for somebody else. I've been building my own TRX 450R for three years. So 
<laughs> it's still in pieces. <laughs> so uh, I've, um, you know, from, from the beginning, I always, I don't know, I had this thing where I just wanted to like hold on to um, my, my race bike. So, uh, you know, I, I, I still have like the BMX bike that I won like a state championship on in like 1985. Nice. I still have it. I still have my, uh, 84, 200 X. That's so cool. I still have that. I have the first, uh, 85 ATC 250R that I bought new in, in the eighties. I still have it. I just, uh, I just decided to hold on to the, the, those bikes, you know, through thick and thin, through good times and bad. I just never let them go. You know, that's so awesome. That is so yeah. awesome. I know my, my ATC 250R, I, I, I did like sell it to a guy. It was, it was all in pieces, you know, and I was like, I'm not, I, I just, you know, I'm never going to do anything with it. You know, I just got to need the money. So I sold it to him and then he sold it to another buddy, another guy I know. And then a couple of years later, you know, I was in a better financial position and I bought it back from him. And he like, you know, I gave him, I gave the guy that I sold it to the title and they never transferred it into their name. So it was like still in my name and I got it back. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. I just, I figure when I'm old and, you know, can't ride anymore. And I just like look at those three wheelers and like, think about all the good times I had on them, you know? Exactly. Exactly. That's freaking so awesome, Andy. Andy, yeah. I want to, I want to thank you so much for sitting down with me. Uh, the The conversation was outstanding and, and I really enjoyed listening to the stories. I learned some things about you that I didn't know. You know, from the BMX to the three wheelers, um, you've had just an amazing career um, and, and super amazing. I, I really, really want to have you back so that we can talk more in depth about some of those things. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time with us. And um, I, I want to hear more about the e-bikes as they evolve with you. Andy, well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org, or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.